Welcome to Growth Mindset University. I'm your host, Jordan Paris, and this show is all about learning the lessons we should have learned in school but did not, so that we can succeed in the progressive new age of business and life we find ourselves in today. Each episode will feature a brand new lesson, and now it's time for today's lesson. So put your thinking cap on, because school is now in session. My people, thanks so much for joining me again on the podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Katherine Price. She wrote an excellent book titled, How to Break Up with Your Phone. I picked this book up in the Amazon bookstore in Los Angeles over a year and a half ago, never thinking that, hey, maybe one day I'll be friends with Catherine. So it was excellent to connect with Catherine. Now, her and I talked about how our phones are threatening to our long-term health. We talked about what our phones are doing to our brains and all the other things that our phones are interfering with. Now, there is hope, and Catherine has an excellent phone breakup challenge. You can get it at phonebreakup.com. It's a seven-day simple challenge, and I highly recommend that you do this. Again, phonebreakup.com. Now, without further ado, let's get into this conversation with the humble and kind Catherine Price. My guest today is Catherine Price. Catherine is an author and science journalist whose articles and essays have appeared in the New York Times, Popular Science, The Oprah Magazine, The Los Angeles Times, The San Francisco Chronicle, Washington Post Magazine, Men's Journal, and Self, among others. Her most recent book is titled How to Break Up with Your Phone, and she's a graduate of Yale and UC Berkeley's Graduate School of Journalism. She's also the recipient of numerous journalism awards. Catherine, welcome to the show. Catherine Price, I'm so excited. Thank you so much for having me. So, phonebreakup.com, people can get the book and they can also get the uh, the seven-day phone breakup challenge. Uh, Catherine-price.com is just your main website and then yeah and yes for the lock screen that that i have on my phone that says do you want to pick me up right now every time i pick up my phone it says do you want to pick me up right now you can get that also at phonebreakup.com highly recommend it there's other ones too like the other one i have i don't use it but it says um what do you want to pay attention to i think yes 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 so i took uh in in the book how to break up with your phone i took the smartphone compulsion test and it is recommended that I need to see a psychologist, psychiatrist, or psychotherapist who specializes in behavioral addiction. Is, do I really need to see one? <laughs> um, I can't answer that question, Jordan, but I can say that all of us will qualify for a psychiatric evaluation based on the smartphone compulsion test. I actually had the chance to meet the man who developed it in person, this guy, David Greenfield, who started the mm -hmm. Center for Internet and Technology Addiction. And even he despite all of his work, would say that he would score pretty highly. Because it asks questions like, do you always have your phone near you? Is it always out at meals? Do you sleep with it next to your bed? All this stuff that we've come, this come, become totally common, which is not to say it's not crazy and problematic, but everyone is doing it. 
Um, yeah. Oh, and just to follow up, I also create, thank you for giving the shout out to the websites. I've also been building up um, kind of a catch all for them at screenlifebalance.com. So if people okay. want to check that out, I've been really trying to focus on building up even more resources. Um, but yeah, we're all we're all acting like crazy people when it comes to our smartphones. We are and we're becoming cyborgs in a way that we always have this thing attached to us. And something that I've been trying to do lately more than ever uh, every day i go somewhere without my phone and people think this is crazy it's not i think it's a great thing i just i like the, the, maybe there's one or two times where like i'll i'll be like oh i'll take up my phone and i don't have it but after that i'm like good and i just sort of enjoy the world <laughs> how often do you do you use that tactic as well I do. I love that you're doing that. Uh, what I, my version is normally, well, either forgetting it or, <laughs> or uh, doing a break from phones and screens from Friday night to Saturday night, which some people call a digital Sabbath or like a tech Shabbat and you could call it whatever you want. But that has really been a wonderful way to reconnect with my husband and family. And as you're saying, go out and enjoy the world. But I also do love the feeling of not having my phone with me it feels subversive. You know, it's like you're sneaking out and doing something you're not supposed to do in a way that Google doesn't know where you are. And you actually can notice the world around you in a way that I think that you don't as much when you have your phone in your pocket. But I'm curious about your experience, what inspired that? And also, if you can give an example of one of your phone free jaunts. Yeah. Well, I've heard of your digital Sabbath, of course, because I have the book and I know your work and I've heard you on other shows. But uh, I, I think it was, no, it wasn't Nir Ayal, because Nir just wrote, you know, he was on the show and he wrote that book. He wrote Hooked, and then his most recent one was Indistractable, uh, which is why we had him on the show. And then I heard, oh, it was Cal Newport. I heard him talking, uh, and, and he recommended that. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to change my life. And so, like, when I go to the gym in the morning... Uh, I will not bring my phone and uh, like almost never. Uh, and, you know, it's first thing in the morning. Like I don't, I don't even want to check. I, I never would check my phone in the morning anyway uh, for like the first hour of the day. But now, you know, I just don't take it to the gym. Uh, sometimes, I don't know if I'm like going to the grocery store, I just won't take it. Uh, like, you know, little, usually I, it's like an hour, hour or two max excursion that I will ditch my phone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I find it interesting. I get emails from people sometimes who have read the book or tried some of these things. And you just reminded me of it because I got this email from this random guy I've never met somewhere in the middle of the country. And he was saying that, I guess, because he had been experimenting, obviously, with putting his phone down or not having it with him. And he said, I wanted to write to you because I just spent like 20 minutes in a parking lot waiting for somebody or something. And I just listened to the birds. And I can't ah. remember the last time that I've done that. And it was such a little moment, but it really moved me because it was amazing to think that this person, that he had been so moved by the experience of just being alive and just being in tune with his surroundings in a way that is really hard to do when you have your phone with you all the time. Exactly. So what is it with these phones that seems to be the problem? Are the phones the problem or are we the problem? <laughs> um, 
I can tell that you had Niroyal on your podcast recently. (laughs) Both, I think. I mean, I don't agree with the idea that this should be an issue of willpower with us. I think it's very important for people to recognize the business interests behind the most problematic apps. So if you, the listener, were to ask yourself which apps you spend the most time on and also which apps tend to make you feel most gross after you use them, you'd probably all come up with the same group of apps and you see that social media is very high on that list with Instagram being particularly problematic with Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter, you'd find the news being problematic, email, uh, games, dating apps. And most of those apps are what could be called slot machine apps, meaning that they are designed with techniques that have been deliberately copied from slot machines, which are widely considered to be some of the most addictive machines ever to be invented. And you might ask yourself, well, why would that be? Why would you possibly want to make an app that's like a slot machine that doesn't sound very nice or healthy and driving everyone towards the psychiatric evaluation we were discussing earlier? And the reason there is simply that that's how the apps make money. So if if an app is free, which obviously all social media apps are, then you're not its customer. Because think about it, it doesn't make any sense. Facebook is worth like a half a trillion dollars with a T. It did not get that valuation by giving its product away for free. So when you look on the homepage of Facebook, which I should point out owns WhatsApp and Facebook also owns Instagram, and it says it's free and always will be, you should be suspicious. And you should be suspicious of the fact that they refer to us as users and not customers. And it's actually one of the more honest things that Facebook does because we aren't customers. The customers are advertisers. And the product that's being sold is our attention. Basically, they are using us to make money. Every minute you're spending on a social media app or a dating app or a gaming app or whatever is a minute you're spending making money for somebody else. It's really important to recognize because it explains why they're using these addictive techniques to get us hooked. And it also means that if you continuously find yourself in these spirals and you start beating yourself up, like, why don't I have the willpower to stop? Why can't I just stop checking Instagram? Whatever. There's no point in beating yourself up about that. Yes, you can have you can take action on it, but a big reason that that's happening is that those apps have been deliberately designed to hook you, and they do so by triggering the release of a brain chemical called dopamine, which is your brain's way of recording what is worth doing again. Your brain releases dopamine in response to things like eating food, right? It reminds you to eat. You eat something, and you're like, oh, that was a good idea, and you're going to remember to find that food, where you found the food, and to eat it again. So it's It keeps us alive, but it can also be manipulated to get us hooked. So all that is to say, there's a lot of forces working against us. There's a leading advocate in this area named Tristan Harris, who talks about how your landline telephone did not have thousands of engineers on the other side of it trying to figure out how to get you to spend as much time as possible on the landline telephone. Mm. That's why no one was really addicted to like constantly picking up their rotary dial telephone. But social media apps do have that. Apps today do have literally thousands of people trying to figure out the way to get us to quote-unquote engage, which is a euphemism for stealing our time and attention from us. So all that is to say, don't beat yourself up. On the flip side, though, the only way that this is going to change at the moment is for us to take action ourselves because the business incentives are too strong in the other direction for them to continue to make these apps addictive, frankly. So that's why I think it's important to be really mad at these companies for what they're doing because they could be building tools that truly did foster real connections instead of designing elements that are there to keep us hooked. And then also to begin to take action on our own as individuals and as a society 
to take back our time and lives because it's not going to start with the companies. It's going to start with us. Yeah. I want to share something that you asked me uh, before I introduced you here. Uh, I, you know, I was talking about how I just compulsively check LinkedIn, blah, blah, blah. And you asked me a question. I don't know if it was like intentional or if you do this with like, you know, everyone who seems to have a problem, but like it really made, it was, it, it was like a wake up moment sort of where you asked me something like, uh, what are you hoping to find there? Or what are you hoping to achieve? Like, <laughs> you know, by, by, by doing that, by, and I, I let it, I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I, have, I have no idea. So, so I think, I think it is important to, you know, when you're, when you're stuck, when you've been on the phone for 20 minutes on Instagram, when you've been, uh, or when you're, when you're thinking and checking it for like the 10th time in the past 20 minutes, I think it's important to ask yourself, what are you hoping to find there? <laughs> yeah. Well, what's really yeah. funny about that is that that was <laughs> that wasn't like a me trying to be a guru to like probe your soul. I was just curious. <laughs> I was like, I wonder because LinkedIn. I mean, people do that. You're not the only person I've heard who do that. But it's a uh, it's just a funny one to me because I'm just like I just really don't use LinkedIn, so I wouldn't even think about mm. checking it compulsively. <laughs> no, that was. But you know, but that does bring up a bigger point, which is that I think one of the first steps that people can use, or first techniques they can use, is actually to get curious and ask yourself questions that are just, if you think about it, kind of obvious. Like if you notice you're doing something compulsively, then obvious question would be like, why? And what are you hoping to find there? And then you can get curious further, and you could say, well, how often? do I actually find what I'm looking for? I mean, if you identify you're actually looking for something, you're looking for a connection or a message or whatever, how often does that happen? But you might also find that you're actually checking because you're just trying to fill that moment of time or you just have a Twitch and that's just what you do because it's on your desktop. You were saying it's like in a browser tab or something. Or you know, or it could be that you're feeling a little bit anxious in that moment, socially awkward. So that's why you're going to Instagram. Yeah. And I, I use it as a pacifier sometimes. Oh, there was a really funny product that, or I don't know if it's product's the right word, but this app that came out a couple of years ago called Binky. And it basically was a social media feed designed to show you an endless scroll of meaningless uh, videos and images that related to nothing. And there was no connections. Like you could, you could like things by binking them or something. It sounds obscene. It wasn't binking them. But anyway, you could add a bink. It was supposed to be a pacifier, binky like a pacifier, yeah. which is why you made me think of it. But it was hilarious. And if you're someone out there who's like kind of curious about why you're using social media, check out binky and notice how you probably will get little tingles of dopamine and satisfaction by checking this app that by design is entirely purple purposeless it's like mm. gives you random pictures of like cauliflower diana ross like staircases it's kind of funny but anyway i, I created an exercise i call www which is short for what for why now what else and that's a good way to get into the curious mindset uh, there's also a lock screen image you can download um with that message as well at screenlifebalance.com. But that's basically what it sounds like. It's like, all right, you notice that you're checking LinkedIn or you're checking Instagram, whatever it may be. And then you say, okay, what for? Like, what am I checking it for right now? Is there actually a purpose here? And then you ask yourself, well, why now? Again, is there actually a reason? Like you're, you need to get a piece of information in this moment? Or is it because you're in a context or an emotional state, boredom, anxiety, whatever, that's making you want to check? And then the last question is what else? What else could you do right now instead? And if you decide that you do want to be doing whatever it is you had just started to do, that's completely fine. But you've given yourself a chance to take a different direction and make sure that it's the result of a conscious choice. And, and I've been trying to play around just as kind of a tangent 
I'm a writer, as you obviously know, and there's like great pressure for writers to be on social media, but I don't want to spend a lot of time in social media for reasons that are probably obvious given this conversation. So I was trying to figure out what could I possibly do on like Instagram that would be true to my purpose, but also would help people and also, you know, placate my agent who wants me to do more on social media. And I came up with the idea of doing an intervention feed where actually I could pre-schedule posts so I don't have to think about it. I don't have to spend time on it. But the posts actually ask you things like, do you really want to be on Instagram right oh now? Oh my gosh. Or like, good. you know, like, what are your goals for today? Or what do you, it's Saturday morning. Do you want to be scrolling in this moment? And the idea is to catch people in the moment when they need it the most to give them a chance to break out of that trance. So, you know, I just started this like a month ago, but if anyone is interested, it's at Screen Life Balance. And it's been really neat to me to hear from people saying that that actually is helping them kind of have that like wake up moment. Because I think that really the goal, if you're trying to change your habits with things like social media, is you want to reach a state of disenchantment. You want to understand, you want the curtain to be pulled back, as we just were talking about, on the incentives of these companies and the way that they're manipulating and taking advantage of us. And you want to feel kind of gross about it. And you want to think to yourself, you know what, I don't actually want to be spending my time like that. It's kind of like a smoker who, for the first time, actually tastes a cigarette and smells it on their clothes and realizes, oh, wait, this is actually gross. And I don't want to be a smoker anymore. That's the moment when they're much more likely to succeed at quitting because it goes from some, a restriction they're placing on themselves. I have to quit to I want to quit because I'd rather be doing something else. And that's exactly the same thing that we want to achieve when it comes to our phone habits. So that's screen life balance on Instagram. I'm yeah. not sure I go follow that. Yeah. Yeah. And oh. Twitter too. We did it. We're trying okay. out a Twitter thing too. It's, it's been fun. And on Twitter, you can even uh, earn, oh, no, it's Facebook where you can make sure you see that account's uh, posts first. But I don't think you can, which would be awesome to, to be able to see Screen Life Balance's post first. Oh, that's to, interesting. To but I don't think that's a thing on Instagram or Twitter. I, you know, I recently finally totally pulled the plug on Facebook. I never checked it anyway, uh-huh. but I totally deleted my whole account. Uh, it. it I'm sure they still have all of my information, but I can't see it. But I, I hesitated even like starting a business account on Facebook because I truly do hate Facebook. And yes, irony, again, they own Instagram. So it's like it's yeah. still Facebook. But I didn't know that. That's actually might be a reason to do something with Facebook to help people if there's a way for people to actually oh, yeah. consciously choose that, hey, I want to see these posts because I don't want to be on Facebook as much. For sure. So phones, how can they uh, threaten our long-term health? I know you talk about this as it pertains to cortisol. Is that right? Yeah. So I got really interested in what effects our phones are having on our physiology, on our bodies. And the reason I became interested in that is that as we were talking about earlier, I'd gotten into this habit and practice of doing these 24-hour breaks from my phone and from screens in general over Friday to Saturday nights. And I noticed when my husband and I did this that, first of all, time seemed to slow down, which apparently is a real thing, because when you're on screens or sitting in front of a slot machine, time speeds up. So if you want your life to seem longer, that's an easy hack right there. We get so much done and it would be like 10 in the morning. It's amazing. But I also noticed that by the end, the first night we'd feel really kind of anxious and twitchy where our brains would be telling us things like, oh, just check. Oh, just go to Amazon, order that thing. Oh, just look up that fact. And we'd have to kind of consciously force ourselves to not do that, put the phone in the other room, turn it off. But then the next day, we felt this sense of calm and didn't even want to turn the phone back on in the afternoon. And then I heard from all these other people who had done the seven-day challenge or the 30-day challenge that I developed who had similar experiences, this feeling of calm. 
And it made me wonder if part of the reason people were feeling a sense of calm is because stepping away from their phones actually was reducing their levels of stress hormones, such as cortisol. So I ended up writing this article in which I called up all these like neuroendocrinologists and experts and asked them, could it be possible? Well, first of all, does it make sense that this feeling of calm could be related to a physiological effect of being away from our phones? And if so, is the flip side true? Namely that if we're constantly tethered to our phones and we're getting pinged by notifications all the time and we're constantly distracting ourselves, could that be increasing our baseline stress hormone levels, things like cortisol. And the reason I was curious about that is that it's completely non-controversial. <laughs> the fact that over time, increased levels of cortisol in particular are not good for your long-term health. They increase risk for things like heart attack and stroke and type 2 diabetes, obesity, all sorts of things you don't want to have happen. And it makes sense. Cortisol is a hormone that your body releases in times when you're acutely stressed out. So like if you're going to be attacked by a lion, you want to have a huge surge of energy. So you want lots of blood sugar, sugar in your blood, you want to have uh, a lot of, you want to have your heart beat faster, you want to have your blood vessels dilate and your blood pressure increase. All these things really great if you're being chased by a lion, not so great if it's over a period of years, you can see how to be a direct connection between like diabetes and having increased blood sugar, right? I mean, that is diabetes. Anyway, for sure. Got really interested in that, called up all these scientific experts and asked them if it was a crazy hypothesis, and every single one said no. And some of them even said, wow, I'd never thought about it like that. It's going to change the way that I relate with my smartphone. And one person in particular, this guy Bruce McEwen, who's a very renowned neuroendocrinologist, he pointed out that anything that puts you into a hypervigilant state is also going to increase your stress hormones in a bad way. And what that means is if you're constantly on guard for something bad to happen. Yeah. And typically that's been studied in the context of people who are in really high stress environments or violence in the home, things like that. And obviously we're not talking about something as extreme as that here, but if you think about what your phone's doing, it's constantly delivering new information to you. And a lot of times that information is not positive. Like if you've got news notifications on, and even if it is positive, if it's a like or a comment or whatever, it's still stuff that you need to share or I'm sorry, that you need to absorb or potentially do something about an email that you get that you need to respond to. So we are kind of always in this hypervigilant state when we have our phones in our pockets. Yes. So that's what got me interested in it. And uh, yeah, I ended up writing an article about it. And I, I encourage people to just experiment for themselves with what it feels like to take a break from their phones, anticipate it's going to feel pretty uncomfortable at first, which is really the withdrawal stage. But if you stick with it, for a couple more hours a day, whatever, just notice the change in how you feel. Or if you turn off notifications, like if you currently have all your notifications oh, enabled yeah. by default, no. try turning those off for the apps that you get the most notifications from, like social media or the news. Just leave them on for the ones you truly want to find out about immediately, like a phone call. Um, but I've heard from a lot of people who talk about what a difference that's made in their feelings of stress, which gets to the broader point of trying to become better at monitoring our mental and our physical states when we're on our phones or just in our lives in general, because there's a lot of information there. And once you start noticing it, you may find it's much easier to change your habits because you'll be aware of which activities make you feel good mentally and physically and which ones make you feel bad, distracted, so, stressed out. Yeah. I feel like when I'm on LinkedIn and Instagram, those are my worst moments. For sure. Huh. <laughs> so How what's so? that mean? 
uh, I am always, uh, I feel like I am hyper vigilant because there's always, you know, when you get, you know, 200 comments on a post, there's going to be at least a couple, Catherine, as I'm sure you know, that are, that are rude, uh, and, and, uh, mean and, and hateful. If I, I, I wish and I had so, this with me, Jordan, I have if my keychain literally says, don't, never read the comments. Oh, <laughs> so I learned oh, that as a writer. I was like, Ooh, people saying nice things about me. Oh no, no, they're not saying nice things about me. Nope. That yeah, totally hear that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm like, my breathing is different. It's very shallow. Uh, every, no matter what, when I'm when I'm on LinkedIn, that's uh, really important to notice. Yeah, everyone yeah. should definitely pay attention to your breathing. There's such a yes. thing uh, called email apnea, where you kind of almost stop breathing for seconds when you're deep in a trance on your yeah. screen. Yes, I, I, I talked. I on. talked about this with uh, with an Olympian who noticed this in himself, and and uh, he was told that he had internet induced apnea. Yeah, it's a real thing. <laughs> it's crazy when you start to notice it. It's like, oh, wait, I didn't take, I can't even remember the last time I took a deep breath, you know? Yeah. It's really nuts. And it makes you feel like crap. Uh, like, I don't, it feels stressful. I feel like, I feel like it's an indication that like cortisol may be spiking too. Maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm making leaps here, but uh, <laughs> yeah. It's not as well studied as it should be, you know, the direct link between cortisol and phones, but all the signs point in that direction. And if you think about the types of information that are being chosen by algorithms, I mean, we get, sorry, companies get the most response, most engagement, again, to use that word, from content that invokes outrage or fear. And those are both being chased by a lion type emotions. Yeah. Those are the things you're most likely to share. It's like why you've got a crazy uncle, you know, putting political rants on Facebook, whatever. But that feeling of just getting worked up, that's just right. not a good feeling. It does, first of all, it doesn't feel good, which probably is like we could just stop the conversation there. It doesn't feel good, so we should try to stop doing it. Um, but it's also probably not good for us in a physiological sense. Oh, certainly it's not. Uh, I, I feel like you're going to live like 40 years longer than I am. Just <laughs> so we'll all be cyborgs by that point. So it'll just be depressing. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So what else, Catherine, are our phones interfering with? Phones are interfering with all sorts of stuff. I mean, I think most fundamentally, as we've been saying, it's our experience of our lives. So that's very important. Again, like we could probably, that should be enough. But I mean, they're interfering with our relationships. It feels horrible to have someone check their phone in the middle of a conversation. And if you don't think it feels horrible, then you're probably not paying attention to it because we've gotten so used to it. But once you start really paying attention to it, the friend is essentially saying, oh, you're really not that important to me right now because there's a it's third. It's so rude. Yeah, there's a third party in this conversation, the phone. And they're basically saying, especially if they haven't even seen who the notification or whatever is from, they're saying, they don't even know who the other person is. Anybody else in the universe apparently is more important to them than you oh, are in that moment because they just checked it, which is crazy if you think about it. And that's the message you're subliminally sending when you do the same thing. So relationships, huge thing, huge, imp hugely impacting our children, both in the ways that we are interacting with phones in front of them and also by giving small children screens at a very early age. Um, we're also really- Yeah, I think that's terrible. It, it is terrible. I try to be- careful about how I talk about parenting because it's such a judgmental subject in general, but I truly am disturbed when I see parents give small children screens because I don't think that they're trying to hurt the kid, but having done all the research I have about both early childhood development and the effects of screen time, I just think that kid is able to engage with the world. You know, they are able to observe in a way that adults 
lose. And to put a screen in front of them is basically to steal their childhood from them in a way. That's a whole other conversation. (laughs) Speaking of super depressing. Um, But also, you know, phones really are, the way we interact with these apps is affecting our ability to concentrate and remember things. And that makes total sense if you think about what you're actually doing on your phone, which is that you're engaging in what this uh, tech tech expert, Linda Hall, calls a state of continuous partial attention. We're constantly trying to pay attention to multiple things at once. And that's not actually how our brains function best. That overwhelms what's known as our working memory and leads to the feeling of mental exhaustion that probably every listener has felt when they've got multiple browser tabs open at once. There's this feeling of trying to hold too much in our minds at once or maintain too many social connections at once. And it's really exhausting. And it does lead to changes in the physical structure of our brains in a way that makes it harder to focus deeply or to remember the things that we're uh, taking in. Is there any hope? (laughs) I would say there is. I mean, I think from my personal experience, I'd feel like a completely different person from when you know, before I started working on my book. And and I wasn't really a social media person. I used to scroll through eBay just for doorknobs. I'm not even kidding. I was looking at antique doorknobs. There was a kitchen renovation. There was nominally a reason at one point to do this, but it, my habit outlasted the purpose. (laughs) But I think that there is, I think though, that, that it does take people waking up and also it takes bravery to talk to the other people in your life about how their phone use is affecting your, you And also about how your phone use is affecting the other people. So if people are worried about how to broach this subject with other people, I always say, turn it back on yourselves. Like say, I've started to work on my relationship with my phone. I've realized it makes me feel disconnected to have my phone out when I'm around you. And would you mind or would you be interested in putting yours away for this meal? Or could we try this experiment together and just see what happens? Because I think a lot of people are feeling the same way and just haven't had a way to put words to it or to talk to other people about it. So you're not alone is what I'm saying. And I think the more of us that talk about our relationships with our phones, the better. And also keeping in mind, I'm certainly not saying you should ditch your phone entirely. There's many reasons that our phones are useful and practical and and enjoyable. Even social media for certain, you know, for many people is enjoyable in small doses. I'm just saying we need to take a step back and reevaluate these relationships because right now We've let them develop without us being an active participant. So our phones are the things that are deciding how we spend our time instead of us deciding how we want to spend our time. And life is finite. You know, there's going to come a point when it's over. And I don't think there's many people who are going to be on their deathbed and say, you know, I really wish I'd spent more time on Instagram. Yep. Uh, Is technology serving you or intruding your life? Yeah, exactly. I always pose that question. So I got to know, Catherine, I'll give you this challenge here. Uh, What is your screen time? Do you, have a, do you have an iPhone? I have an iPhone. Okay. Have you gone into the... Can, do you have your phone on you? I just put it in airplane mode. Well, I can... This is what I will say. This is a question I get asked a lot. What's my screen time or what's an ideal amount of screen time? Yes. And what I always say is that I don't think it's good to focus on the screen time in that way. And that's not a cop-out of an answer. There's two reasons. One is that the phone isn't the only screen in your life. So I'm doing this interview on my laptop right now. And much of my day typically is spent in front of my laptop or a computer screen, which is actually why I branched out from how to break up your, with your phone and created screen life balance. Because I realized once I worked on my relationship with my phone, I still was spending hours a day on freaking email. And that's not how mm. I want to spend my life. That is not my deathbed wish. I wish I'd spent more time on email. No. So I would say like a day when I spend 
nearly no time on my phone. It might be a day where I spent 10 hours sitting in front of my computer, which doesn't feel healthy. And then conversely, you could have a day when I spent six hours. Well, I don't think I ever spent six hours on the phone, but I could spend several hours on the phone, but then have spent no time on my laptop. So overall, my screen time would feel better that day. And then the other reason is that screen time in the Apple system is going to count things like listening to music or using Google Maps or anything. It lumps it all together. Mm-hmm. I actually like this app called Moment better because Moment allows you... I've to, used it. Yeah, they allow you to pick certain apps to exclude. So you can say, you know what, like when I'm using Google to navigate, I'm just not going to worry about that as screen time per se. So for me, for example, I know that I've spent a lot of time in the past day or so compulsively re-listening to a recording of Don't Stop Believing that I took this weekend when I got together with a bunch of people for a jam session people from this guitar class that I've started taking as a direct result of spending less time on my phone. Nice. Yeah. And the guitar class has been life-changing. These jam sessions grew out of the guitar class. So I've probably listened to that, I don't know, like five times this morning already, which is probably 25 minutes right there. But I feel fine about that use of my phone. Whether that's the most productive use of my Wednesday morning, I'm not sure. (laughs) But but I'm not going to beat myself up over the phone aspect. So I hope that makes sense. I mean... I certainly like don't want the screen time to creep up too high, but I'm also not going to beat myself up over it if it's like an hour and a half or two hours one day, but then I didn't spend time on the other. Like I'm trying to really work on this general concept of screen life balance. And I encourage people to do that as well, to not like beat yourself up or get too obsessed by just a number. Use that as a guide, but not a judgment. Certainly. As we uh, begin to wrap up here, Catherine, for people who heard all of this today, all, all of your suggestions, Catherine, and think it sounds good, you know, oh, I enjoyed this podcast. Jordan, this was a great episode. Catherine, this was a great episode. Uh, but they're still not going to do anything about, they're not going to make any changes in their life. Uh, what, do you, what, what would you say to those people? Oh, I'd say bad news, guys, because you already started to make a change just by listening to us. Ha ha ha, mm. we're so sneaky. Because seriously, most people haven't even thought started to think about their relationship with their phones. So just by listening to this, we have v- snuck in some thoughts to your mind that you are going to have resurface when you're least expecting them. So there'll be some moment when you're on Instagram or you're doing something with your phone and you look at someone else on your phone, on their phone, and you're going to be like, huh. And in that huh moment, you changed. So even if nothing else, it's too late, it's, you know, emperor's new clothes, you started to see the king naked, you can't unsee that, sorry. But I would say there's lots of other things people can do that aren't dramatic things, but just asking yourself, if you notice that you're on your phone, what am I doing to my phone right now? It doesn't have to be scary is what I'm saying. Or you could just try your best not to change and go on an Instagram binge session right after listening to this podcast. We can't yeah. do anything to stop you, but hey, it's your life. Just make sure you're happy with how you're spending it. <laughs> Well, step one, awareness. Step two, go to phonebreakup.com or screenlifebalance.com. Get the seven-day phone breakup challenge. Get the book that I'm holding in my hand right now, How to Break Up With Your Phone. I highly recommend it. And uh, katherine-price.com. Catherine, I appreciate you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. There you have it, my friends. This has been another episode of Growth Mindset University, the podcast. Now, if you enjoyed this one today, all I ask is that you share it out to your friends, family, etc., on your Instagram story and tag me and our guest today. And don't forget to message 
our guest as well so that you build your network as you listen and learn with this podcast. And if you really believe that hearing the message of growth is important to the world and you want to help others find our show and you're not satisfied with just taking a screenshot and sharing this on your Instagram story, well, I've got good news for you. You can go the extra mile in helping spread this message of growth. You can leave us an honest rating and review in Apple Podcasts. We have over 200 ratings right now and it has made a gigantic difference for this show, not only helping people find the show, but getting awesome guests. Thank you all so very much. And until next time, my friends, make every day count, live to learn and grow to give.